0: I am Sarah Jane Case, and this is Enneagram and Coffee. Hello friends, happy Wednesday. Today I am answering the questions texted in Buy you to the podcast phone number, which is 828 338 9127. By the way, we are covering questions like how do I find out my type? How do I support the four that I love? And more. But first, today's rose, bud, and thorn. The rose for today is that I got myself a parking pass. Um, I have lived in Asheville most of my life and I've never had a parking pass downtown, but I finally got one and it is so stress relieving just to like always have a place to park. I cannot even tell you. My thorn is that this morning uh, I had this interaction with a man that I just feel really sad about, honestly. So I, if you, you don't know this probably, but I have a background of working with people who are um, without homes. I've done a lot of work in that environment, especially when I was younger. And um, so it's a very, very tender place in my heart. And uh, I, I tend to keep things in my car or on my person to give to people who um, are experiencing homelessness, like kits or gift cards, or I always, I like to give money if I can. I know that's a controversial thing, but that's just kind of where my heart's at and how, what I feel like it feels good to me. Um, This morning I was, and I also, also just to say like, it feels incredibly important um, to greet people as human beings and to not ignore people, to not treat people poorly, to not dismiss people just because they are experiencing homelessness, It is incredibly important um, to me to make eye contact, to smile, to greet people, to make sure that at least one person saw them that day and really saw them and made them feel seen and like human. Because I've had so many people um, tell me that that's not what they get most of the time. And so I just, I definitely, that's important to me. So I was walking into the office this morning and I passed by a man and you know, made eye contact, said hello. And as I'm crossing the street, he yells at me, hey, do you have any change? But there's a car coming. And so I am in the middle of the street. I have to kind of run to not get hit by the car. But I also like, it's just like this awkward situation where I feel like, instead of doing what I would normally want to do, which is like give that person money or give them a gift card or something along those lines, I'm like running away from them. And it just like, ugh, it breaks my heart. Um, my bud is that the IEA conference is this weekend. So make sure to grab your ticket. You do not want to miss this. Every Enneagram teacher that you could possibly imagine is going to be there teaching incredible amounts of things. It's just going to be Epic. And typically you have to fly there. You buy a pretty expensive ticket just to go to the conference, but then you have to fly there. You have to pay for housing, you have to pay for food. This year it's online because of the pandemic. So this is like your chance to get this at like the lowest rate. Plus, if you use the code Discovery6, all caps, you can save even more money and it gives a kickback to me. So um That would mean a lot to me if you do sign up to use the code, save yourself some money, help me out. It would be awesome. Okay, let's get into your questions. So question number one. Hi, Sarah Jane. I have a daughter who is an unhealthy four. She continues to live in the past and regret all of her choices. Some were definitely not good, but she has gotten much better this past year regarding some of her decisions. Her current issue revolves around finishing up college in a town she grew up in with horrible memories, but the university ranks number seven in the country for the discipline she loves or move to a new place in school with no community or friends. My question is, how can I help a four try to put her past in perspective so if she stays, she can function without being haunted by her past? Would love your thoughts. Okay. So our type fours are comfortable with longing, right? So there's some element of maybe just allowing her to be in that process. Like she's probably always going to have that sense of something else will make me feel good or something else will fix me. There's that's kind of her personal work to do. And you're not going to be able to like force her through that process. It's going to be in her timing. Um, And as a parent, there's an element of just trusting that she's going to be okay. Like it's going to work out in the end. And for fours in a relationship to a parent, what she needs most from you is a sense of belonging and emotional connection. She needs to know that she is like, with you, that you're with her, that she's on your team, you are on her team, and that you can meet her in that emotional place. So if you can meet her there, you're going to preserve your relationship with her, which ultimately is going to allow her the safety to make wrong choices sometimes, but still be okay because she's safe. She has a place to be loved and accepted for who she is. Now, in this particular situation, it would be beneficial to wade through the frustration with her, let her be negative about the current situation that she's in, mirror her pain back to her even. Like if she says, "This town's terrible." You can say, "I yeah, I hear you saying this town is terrible. Like what's terrible about it? Let's talk about that. This is real, your feelings are real." And only from that place, only after we do that, once we meet them there, we match their energy, we match their emotional um, pain back to them, then we can invite her into a conversation around what does she appreciate about the school and the town that she's in, um, believe her about both, and then kind of get into what problems does she think changing schools will solve, and then are there ways to solve these problems without changing schools? You know, are there creative solutions to these problems? Maybe there are, maybe there aren't. I don't know. And then also perhaps the conversation could be less about how to get her to stay. Not that I necessarily hear you saying that here, but just in case, if if the preference, if you have a strong preference, make sure that you're pulling that out. Um, because it's gonna push her in the other direction, even if even if you're convinced that like this is the right thing for her. Trying to persuade her is probably going to push her further away. So instead, have the conversation around how can you make sure that her past isn't controlling her future, right? That she doesn't have to let it dictate how she chooses to live now, that she makes sure she's moving towards something and not running away from something else. So propose looking at it objectively, maybe as a team, letting her make her decision from a place of data, like pros and cons, instead of emotional, potentially regret or having to escape a feeling because um, nothing else is, you know, the reality we know that the problems won't be solved by constantly kind of changing things, hoping that you'll find something outside of yourself to fix your problems. But at the same time, like, at college age, like there she's exploring and she's learning and she's gonna make mistakes. And um, what she needs most from you is that to know that she belongs, that you see her as good, and that you can match her on an emotional landscape level for sure, beyond a shadow of doubt. Okay. Next, my Enneagram question. Thank you for so being willing to help with this. Oh, yeah, my pleasure. Um, I have been studying the Enneagram for several years, and the deeper I get into it, the harder I am finding finding to know what my number is. I want to have a better understanding of my number for growth and healing. Please help. Okay. So I honestly think that this can be really tricky when we've been studying it for so long. It's like the closer we get, the more we overthink it, right? And so we start to get like much too close. My, my kid has this game where it shows you a photo of something under a microscope lens and you have to guess what it is. But it's really hard because you're so close up. But when you back away, it's really obvious that it's a butterfly wing. And I think the Enneagram is the same way. When we get too close, we start to pick it apart. Um, we can really start to make a case for anything. And if we kind of back up and remember to keep it simple, focus on the motivations. And honestly, I prefer the world view. It makes it a lot easier. We don't have to overcomplicate this. We can really just focus in on what are the basic motivations, the basic world view. Which one do I feel like I lead with the most? It doesn't mean that we don't have some connection to lots of them, um, but really getting down to the basics. If I had to pick one of these that like really drives my decisions, which would I choose? So I'm going to quickly run through the worldviews for you just so just to refresh us. So the worldview for type one is that the world is imperfect and I can work towards improving it and improving myself. I must make the world a better place. The worldview for type two is people to depend on me for help. I have worth because I am liked and needed. I only deserve to be loved because I am loving. Type three, because the world values winners, I must avoid failure at all costs and must organize the world to ensure my success. Type four, something is missing in my life while others seem to have it. I need to search for my true identity. I feel, therefore I am. Type five, the world invades my privacy. I need to protect my resources and energy from the world so that I can think and the world needs enlightenment. Type six, the world is a threatening and unsafe place. Be prepared. Be loyal. People can count on me. Be careful who you trust. I must not be afraid, but I must not let my guard down. I must protect myself, but I must be loyal. Type seven, the future is full of exciting possibilities, and I must experience it all. I'm okay. I deserve what I want. What's next? I must move forward. I must have freedom. Type eight, the world is a tough and unjust place. Only the strong survive. I am a rock. I must not be weak. I must be in control and do it my way. And type nine, I am okay as long as the people around me are okay too. The world would be better place if people could treat other with respect. I must keep the peace. I must be tolerant and accepting. And can't everyone just get along? All right, our next question Hey Sarah Jane, my name is Rachel and I've been listening to your podcast and following your Instagram for some time and really appreciate your Enneagram work. Thanks. I was listening to your last latest Q&A Wednesday and after listening to your response about the individual in the workplace with a bunch of fives, it sparked a question that has been lingering in my head for some time. This also stemmed from one of your recent Instagram posts about the pillars of growth and relationships. My husband is a five and I'm a four, which I believe could be where our issues stem from. To quote from your recent post, fours could push people away and then be terrified that they'll be left, and fives are always being asked by the people in their life for more of their time and emotions than they want to give. Long story short, fighting for quality time has been a major center in our arguments. I want more quality time, and he wants more me time. I feel like I try to respect his boundaries and know that as a five, he needs space and is easy to be depleted of energy. My cup feels empty, and I feel so alone most days. When I've tried expressing my feelings, he gets defensive and I feel like I'm being gaslighted or that I'm pushing him away. I guess my question is, what are some ways that as a four, I can communicate with my five husband without him feeling attacked or offended or without pushing him away? And as a five, what are ways we can meet my needs as a four without feeling energy depleted? Keep keep up all the amazing work you've been doing and have a wonderful day. Um, thank you, Rachel. Uh, this is a hard one. I mean, I think that it's it's hard when... You know, fours especially like want this emotional intensity match and fives want to not be seen in their emotions. And it's okay that it's hard. It doesn't mean that anything's broken. It just is a complicated puzzle to work out, right? So I want to kind of give each of you tips individually. So for you, my type four, um, your tips for your experience with this. Maybe make these connections with yourself and with others outside of your relationship, not saying that you can't have it with your relationship or you shouldn't expect it from your relationship. Not at all. But maybe if if half of your cup is getting filled with by yourself, a quarter of your cup is getting filled with other people, and then a quarter of your cup can be filled with your relationship, right? Like um really taking ownership of like it's my job to fill my cup. And my relationship is a bonus. That can really ease a lot of your suffering um, because you're kind of generating this fulfillment internally versus looking to someone else to kind of give you what you need. So that that's your work. I'm not saying that he's off the hook here. I'm going to go to him next. But for you, if you can fill your cup yourself, then It's going to take a lot of pressure off of your relationship. A really good book about this is from Esther Perel called Mating in Captivity. Um, Essentially, the idea is that our partner was never meant to be everything to us and that we we need lots of different relationships and lots of different things. So you might want to check out that book. It's really good. Again, it's Mating in Captivity by Esther Perel. The next thing for our type four here is to ask directly for what you need without needing him to own anything about what he's done in the past meaning so instead of saying you never spend time with me say can we carve out an hour or two this week when would be a good time for you to carve out an hour or two this week to spend time together intentionally um this way that we're not needing him to de- to own our narrative of the situation because especially our fours um there's a lot of times story get that gets told over the behavior that's happening. So your, t- your type five retreats, you tell yourself a story about why that's happening. And then when you go to talk about what's happening, I don't know this is happening in your relationship, but I, I know this happens in relationships for fours a lot. Um, the It becomes like, here's what you're doing and here's why you're doing it. And so then the five The person in your relationship with has to own both of those at the same time, which maybe they're doing it for a completely different reason than you're saying. And so they don't feel comfortable taking all of it and owning all of it. So then it feels like they're defensive when really they're like, they're trying to say, I don't agree with everything you're saying here. I can't take on all of this, but I can say, so I can own some of it. Right. But Everyone, when we're in a reactive state, we don't have the like capacity really to communicate that. So I would just say a tip would be to say, ask for what you need. Don't ask them to reconcile with what they've done in the past because it's not going to necessarily benefit you if you're seeking connection. I'm not saying there's not room for that at times, but if you're seeking connection, if you're wanting to spend time together, that's not going to get you there. So for our type 5 husband here, um, he's going to need to figure out what is depleting him and what time he can commit intentionally to the relationship so that you guys can be on the same page about what to expect and end this cycle. So meaning, maybe there are things in this type five's life that are depleting him that have nothing to do with the relationship, which are taking away from his ability to be present in the relationship. So if he can eliminate some things that are depleting him, that would be really beneficial. Also, if he can intentionally choose when to prioritize the relationship and communicate that effectively and saying like, I have this much energy or this much time to commit to our relationship this season of my life, um, you know, as I'm navigating X, Y, and Z, then you guys can be on the same page so that you aren't constantly like, Wanting more and more and more and more. And then they're feeling like, because they're not giving you anything, right? So then you're like, give me more and more and more and more, which just makes them feel like they're being invaded upon more and more and more, which makes them pull away more. It just kind of like feeds itself. So if you guys can communicate as much as possible ahead of time what you um, can, what to expect and what they can give, and vice versa, then you can kind of put a little pin in that cycle and. Create a different way of navigating this. So, a tip for that is just um, creating a little bit of routine, scheduling in your time together so that your type five has time to be prepared because they can reserve their energy for what they have to do that day if they have notice. But spontaneous connection may be harder for our five because, again, like if they've had a long day, uh, if they've had to navigate a ton of different emotional landscapes, then emotional connection may be like very exhausting for them. But if they know, okay, I have this intentional time with my spouse at the end of every day or um, one day a week, then they can kind of save some up because that's kind of how they think of it as like, I have this full cup of energy at the beginning of the day and every interaction I have is depleting it. And so I can save a little bit for these things that I've agreed to do. Now, If that doing this on your own feels impossible or feels um, like it's not getting you anywhere, couples therapy is so legit and it's not too much to ask of a partner. And sometimes it's exactly what you need in order to have these conversations effectively. And I know if you have insurance, like this is an easy thing to sign up for. You just kind of say, like, I really need us to be going to therapy together. This is really important to me. It's a, this is a priority. Um, it's not an easy conversation, but I will tell you that, like, that's a conversation I've had with my husband. That's a conversation he's had with me. And it's not fun to receive, but it's also life-changing when you do it, you know? Um, and so if you can't afford it, do it. If you can't afford it, there are some options. So openpath.com is Um, You can find therapists who will take you on a sliding scale and even better help.com does financial assistance to make it more accessible. So you can do either of those options for kind of a lower price therapy um, option for you. So good luck with that and sending you all the good reconciliation, emotional connection vibes I have. Our final question for today is, hi, Sarah Jane. Thanks for your wonderful podcast. I'm an Enneagram 2 and strongly identify with all aspects of this number. However, I do not resonate strongly with any of the subtypes. Different aspects of each subtype are true of me, but there does not seem to be one that really rises to the top. What does this say about me? am I still a two if I don't have strongly identified subtype? How do I continue to grow as a two if I don't have a clear subtype? Thank you again, Erica. Um, Hi, Erica. I'm curious which version of subtypes you've learned. So there are a couple of different schools of thought on subtypes and that could impact the way you're experiencing them. Now I texted you, so I know that you have learned from Beatrice Chestnut, specifically on like podcasts and online research. Um, And her the way that she teaches it is the idea that the full Enneagram is 27 unique subtypes. So they're and that's like each each type paired with their subtype creates a new individual intricate type. Now, there are other schools of thought that your subtype is an overlay of your type, meaning it's similar to wings in that your dominant type is primary, and then the subtype is like a flavoring on that. Um, The narrative tradition teaches that self-preservation types are warm and inviting. Sexual types are hot and connective and intense. Social subtypes are cool and standoffish. And sometimes that's a helpful, helpful place to start. Um, however, it's a bit of a contradiction to Beatrice's book, which is based off of the work of Claudio Naranjo. In my opinion, as I'm um, officially a solidly a social subtype, but many would say I'm a very warm as a person. So I find it kind of confusing. So according to the narrative tradition, I would be a self-pressed type. And according to Beatrice's work, I would be a social subtype. So all of that to say, I personally teach and subscribe to the method That Beatrice teaches. It's more in depth and helpful, in my opinion. Um, If you haven't already, though, I do encourage you to read the complete Enneagram by Beatrice Chestnut as it offers a level of depth that you can't really get from the podcast or Instagram or um, online research. It's full chapters on the subtypes and is so clear and specific that it can be really helpful because maybe what you're missing is the intricacy that you know as you learn your type on the enneagram it offers you so much depth and i think beatrice's book offers that for the subtypes and even hearing beatrice like talk about them it's super helpful but it's also there's just so much rich goodness in the book that can get missed um you know when you're doing a presentation or something like that so If you haven't read the book, I would highly encourage it if you are looking to identify your subtype that way. But finally, I say, you know, read the book. And if you still aren't set on your subtype, I think that's okay. Really just ask yourself, what are the pain points of my life, and how does being a type two impact that? And what ways does releasing the pressure to earn love allow me more freedom and joy? Because that's the goal, right? Like the goal is to ease your suffering <laughs> through the Enneagram, you know, ease your struggle, not respond as much as, you know, not be reactive, and create a little bit of space between kind of who you are and how you think you have to be. And so, you don't really, in my opinion, have to know your subtype for sure right now, in order to do that work. Right, the subtype's going to offer you a little bit more depth and complexity if you want it, um, but it's you should you can still start from where you are. Um, however, if you do, everyone listening, not just. Um, Erica, if you want to learn more about subtypes, you might want to check out my workshop at the IEA conference, which is breaking down subtypes in detail for you. The link to sign up is in the show notes, and you again use code DISCOVERY6, all caps, for a discounted rate. As always, it's an absolute joy to create this content for you, and I will see you tomorrow for the next episode.